Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zaffaro, and this is the feature episode for November, and we're going to talk to Eric Campbell. Now, Eric Campbell is the founder uh, and chief editor and publisher uh, of Down and Out Books. Full disclosure, uh, Down and Out Books sponsors this podcast, and uh, many of my books are published at Down and Out Books, so you will obviously see the potential for bias there, but that's okay. Uh, We don't live in an unbiased world. Nothing wrong with bias uh, when it comes to liking people. Um, So I thought it would be interesting uh, for uh, the audience that is normally hearing about the writing process uh, to hear things from a publisher's perspective. And so I talked to Eric about a lot of different aspects of how Down Out Books came to be and what that journey has been like for him. Um, And so we're going to do things a little bit different here. We're going to dive straight into the conversation with him. We'll take a break and hear from Lance Wright with Down Out Books update. Um, And then we'll take another break at some point and uh, hear some book recommendations from Stephanie Kane, uh, Sean Cosby, and Eric Van Lustbader. All right, well, let's dive straight into our conversation with Eric Campbell. Well, hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Frank. Been a while. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, so I think people, uh, you know, normally they tune into the show here and we're talking to writers. We're talking to usually crime fiction writers of different subgenres. Um, occasionally we, we talk to somebody in a little different role, uh, and that's what we're doing today because, um, you're not a writer. You're, uh, you are a publisher. You're the founder of down and out books. And, uh, my thought was that, uh, people would find it interesting to hear from someone who, uh, is, is, you know, faced with the challenges that a smaller publisher faces in today's world and, and, uh, hear how that, the whole thing came to be and and so forth. So uh, welcome to the show for that purpose. Well, thanks a lot, man. So I guess that's a good place to start. Um, like when, when was Down and Out Books founded? Uh, ended up opening doors officially in May of 2011. Seems like forever ago, but uh, <laughs> May of 2011, man. Well, they're coming up on like next year will be the 10 year anniversary. So it has been a while. Yep. So before we talk about how that happened, I guess a better question might be, why did that happen? What what was the motivation uh, behind you wanting to open a your your own publishing house, and why did you choose to specialize in the in that particular end of the pool when it comes to the mystery genre? Yeah, great question. Um, so I had been part of Tyrus Books with Ben Leroy. Ben Leroy founded that and and I invested in it maybe six months uh, after he had opened it up and um, enjoyed that so much. We had sold it to ultimately wound up going to Simon and Schuster, but when initially we sold it to uh, FMW uh, Media. They had it for several years, but I enjoyed that, the interactions with the writers the, as a fan first and foremost, and and as a publisher, uh, secondarily. And so I thought, you know what, after that was sold, I thought, I've still got the itch to do something in, in the crime genre and be involved and be able to help some of these writers out that, that either New York won't publish uh, or too small for them to publish at this point in time. And so I thought I could cultivate... Uh, you know, a, a minor league, if you will, that ultimately could could and has become um, a major leagues, uh, surprisingly. And so in May of uh, 11, I decided to step back into it. I reached out to some to some writers that I had read, I had enjoyed, and unfortunately, they disappeared. And so we started building it that way. Uh, initially it was just going to be eBooks trying to issue the, the titles that had gone out of print, let folks find those eBooks again. And then we wound up, I got a, got a call from, from Gary Phillips. Uh, this was early on. And he says, uh, he says, Hey, I've got this brand new anthology never published before called scoundrels. And it's about financial crimes. Again, this was in 2011. So I thought, well, 
let's do it. Let's let's figure out how to do print on demand. Obviously, we did the the ebook, but it was the print on demand that we had to grow into and figure out. And from that point forward, honestly, Frank, um, we've been doing print and ebook ever since. It's a story, I guess, that people have heard told before, but it's always a good one, I think. And that is, you had a love for the genre, and that's what drove you to want to publish it. Uh, that's what I'm hearing, anyway. Yeah. That's that's the crux of it, you know. Uh, initially, we uh, uh, it, it was to interact with the writers, and keep, again, keep keep publishing guys that that had disappeared and find new writers to add to the to the mix as we went along, and uh, that's that's what we did. Do you remember what the first book was that you published? I do. That was um, Catching Water in a Net by Joe Abramo, J. L. Abramo. And how many books uh, now, nine, uh, nine plus years later, nine and a half years later, uh, do you know what you're up to? Yeah, nearly 600. Crazy. Yeah, that's a, and, and some heavy hitters. And, uh, you know, you've had some critical success along the way, too. I mean, uh, I'm not sure about the earlier days. You'll have to fill me in. But since I've been uh, part of the, of the stable, there's been award nominees from Down Out Books, uh, you know, just about every VoucherCon or LCC that I've been to. And in fact, I think uh, someone just won for young adult uh, just recently. We did. We got uh, Jim Conley won for best young adult uh, novel uh, with the Bouchicon with the Anthony Awards. We also had a short story that won uh, Alex Segura. That's not the first year, as you know. We've we've been pretty prominent at Bouchicon at LCC. But with this year, we had our first nomination for an MWA for an Edgar Award. Uh, several nominations there in the short story genre. Uh, that's an area that we've we've always, I've always enjoyed short stories. So I like to put anthologies out. And if if the anthology's got a common theme and we've got a couple big names and you've got some folks that that haven't been heard, then it's always nice to be able to to help the new guys come up and get some exposure by way of a bigger name that's in in the title in the anthology. And we've done remarkably well with getting nominations and, and bringing home the gold, so to speak, in many of those nominations. ITW, we've, we've won several times, um, several different uh, uh, categories. Probably the biggest one that, that I had as a winner was Moonlight Weeps by Vincent Zandri uh, for Best Paperback with that and with PWA. We won, we won the same year for that title. Yeah. Vincent's been, been on the show uh, before. He was a, a good interview and that's a great title too. Moonlight weeps. I like it. Um, let's give a little uh, specific love here to those MWA short story nominees. Turistas from Pacatetu Los Sepas by uh, Hector Acosta. And then home at last, which is by Sam Weeb, a Vancouver based uh, guy. Uh, He's been on the show as well. And that was from the Die Behind the Wheel crime fiction inspired by the music of Steely Dan, which was kind of a duology, if I remember right, that uh, Brian Thornton edited uh, two separate anthologies, not necessarily a volume one and volume two, but just two completely separate projects. Now, that's kind of an odd not odd, but that's kind of a different way of going about it. And there's been a lot of projects that have come your way that have sort of been, you know, outside of the standard mold in the way that things are published and in, in, in both the technique and the timing and the uh, uh, just the way it's been handled. And you've always seemed to be very amenable to those uh, new approaches, so sort of a maverick in that regard. Is that just your personality or do you do that uh, very purposefully? Yeah, I like the word maverick. I had I hadn't thought of myself as a maverick, but uh, well, but I like you, that. Right? Uh, you you and I are of a generation where that has a particular connotation. So <laughs> I think that's right. It's kind of nice. So uh, uh, anyway, time to buzz the tower. That's right. That's right. So so you know, I like I like having the opportunity 
to do different things. I am not one that's going to do the same old, same old every single month. I get bored. And so the opportunity to bring out, you know, the, the Brian Thornton, the, the Steely Dan books, you know, it started out as one book and he had, he had sent out some invites to uh, a number of people. And the next thing he knows, he says, Hey, uh, Eric, um, I've got like 25 stories, man. And we thought, dude, there's no way we're going to put that in one volume. So we split it up in two and re- released them. I think it was like six months apart. Uh, great reception on both and a lot, a lot of good positive feedback on, on that col- those two collections. They, as you said, they were not a volume one, volume two. It was, it was really intended to be if you buy one, you're going to, you're going to want to read the other one because it's um, if you like Steely Dan or if you like short stories, you're going to enjoy it. And so those kind of projects I absolutely love. Uh, you know, we did one for Goog- uh, the the Go-Go's. Uh, I think that was the year that was last year before Steely Dan came out. And that was another one that, you know, nobody made any money off of that. You know, I covered basically, I, I pitched in and did all the layout and the formatting and the editing. Um, but that one is is for a charity. I like doing those charity beast pieces. It's a that was great Wally way to West, get, right? That was, yep. Mm-hmm. And we we really enjoy doing those those charity pieces because it's a way for us to give back to the communities or the cause, whatever it might be. And it, it's just a, a good way to keep down and out out there and, and show that we're doing good for the community. We're doing things that, that others may or may not do. And we do it at no cost. Uh, there's no profit margin for us. It's intended to, the dollars are intended to go to those charities. Now, um, in terms of doing things differently, I can speak from personal experience because I've had two separate projects with you that you've, uh, you responded to in a non-typical sort of a way of, of doing them. Specifically, you the first one is uh, a grifter song, which uh, way back when, when I thought I was going to do it myself and maybe publish it myself, maybe bring it to you, um, it was going to be maybe a quarterly anthology that I would write, and that was it. And that had that evolved uh, thanks to the Gary Gary Phillips's input uh, on, on the modeling to to a degree for sure. But that evolved into something very different. Now, how would you describe it now? What is a grifter song as it exists today? Yeah, you know, when we first talked about that, uh, I'm going to use the word Netflix because we we called it a next Netflix like series. It's a nice short you know, couple hour, one hour read that you get every single month. And with Netflix, you get a show, a program for 10 episodes and, and then you wait a year for it to come back. Well, we intended to do that with a grifter song. That was going to be the first half of the year, uh, which it's played that way. Now we're getting ready to start. Uh, uh, amazingly, we're getting ready to start our, our third season of it. And then we also started um, Guns and Tacos. And so next year in July, that'll be the third season of Guns and Tacos. And it's a way for us to follow, for the readers to follow a set of characters written from from different authors. And, you know, you grow the character, you you as the uh, the overall series editor, you have a plot in mind, a general plot of where you're going and where you want to see it to go. And so you kind of give a you know a Bible, if you will, a, a series Bible to to the contributors and let them weave their story in your universe. And it's a lot of fun. And there's been some of them that have just been absolutely phenomenal stories. I just uh, I absolutely love them. And so to have uh, get ready for season three, that is uh, pretty special. We've done this now again three years and. Um, uh, I hope it doesn't uh, stop anytime soon. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of a cool model because uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, it you know, it is what I call a, a serial uh, novella anthology. And that means uh, there's a different author every month, a different story drops on the first of every month for six straight months. And um, it's the same characters as you talked about, uh, but every story is completely included uh, self or self-contained rather. And so you can pick one up and read it in isolation and you're fine. Or you can read it, 
you know, in order or, or even out of order. And you can get the whole, you know, the whole uh, meta story that's, that's going on. But kind of the cool thing about it is, is if you subscribe and this is true of guns and tacos as well, yeah. if you subscribe, not only do you get, uh, you get it actually a little earlier than the first of the month, usually a couple of weeks. Uh, and of course you get a price break. I should mention that it's cheaper if you subscribe, mm -hmm. but then if you subscribe, you also get a bonus story that isn't published anywhere else. And the Grifter Song ones, uh, I've been responsible for writing and I've made sure to make them not be throwaways, to make them actually integrate and weave into the meta storyline for that season. Um, and in the case of the second season, even be almost a mirror image of that final episode for the second season. And so it, I think it brings something of value to, to the reader if they are that subscriber, because they're getting so much more than just maybe somebody who's going to the down out store or Amazon or something and buying them individually or buying, you know, the ones that interest them or, or, or whatever. Um, but all that said, uh, that model, you know, I don't know that I've seen it elsewhere. Maybe it is out there and we just copied it, uh, but I hadn't heard of it before talking with you and having you relay Gary's idea for that monthly, you know, new author every month approach. Um, and so it is, it is kind of, you know, trailblazing or pioneering or trying something different. Uh, and so, I mean, that's, that's what's kind of cool about this publisher and, and it sounds to me like you really enjoy kind of being that guy that says, yeah, let's try it. Let's give it a try. It may fail miserably. It may succeed fantastically, but we're not going to know unless we try. And yeah, that's been one of the things in, in my business life. I've never, I've always been an experimenter and you have to, you have to, in order to stay cutting edge and, and, you know, there's something that we're doing that's going to become potentially could become industry leading in a heartbeat. And so that's why I, I'm consistently attempting to do things outside of the normal channels because readers, where are you going to find them? You know, these, when we, you and I first started talking about the uh, Grifter song, it's, it's that guy that's, or gal that's a traveler that is on a plane and needs something to read rather than sitting there responding to, you know, 75 emails. Don't, don't mess around with the emails. Actually read something in, for enjoyment. It's going to revive your mind. And so this is a heck of an opportunity as a subscriber to know that you get it every single month. And, and we have all 12 months covered, two different series right now. And it's a way for you uh, completely blanked on the on the extra story, the, the ending story, a uh, season, the half at the end. So season uh, episode six and a half or 12 and a half, uh, et cetera. And this is a, it's a way for you guys, the, the, the editor or the contributor that decides to write that uh, little half episode to tie some things up and also leave some nuggets out there to follow and be looking for as a reader for the next season. So it's been a lot of, a lot of fun. One of the other things you did differently that I was impressed with um, at uh, VoucherCon in Dallas last year, I met with you and uh, my co-author Colin Conway and we had published, well, you had published our book, uh, Charlie 316, which ended up being the first of a four book arc. And the original plan was pretty much an industry standard plan. And that was every June, you know, the next book would come out. So it'd take four years for the four book arc to be completed. We had brought an idea to you about instead of publishing the second book in June and then waiting a year, publishing two, three, and four throughout the fall, late summer and fall. So July, September and November, bam, 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 you get books two, three, and four. And if somebody's binging, uh, they actually can binge. They don't have to wait for four years to start their binge. Um, now that is not a very standard model within the publishing industry. Uh, maybe some independent publishing, some self-publishing, but not necessarily with you know, traditional publishers, even smaller presses. So what, I guess my question would be, um, what, uh, what motivated you to, to take that idea and run with it? Um, well, you guys, you and Colin have, have written a story, the Charlie 316 was just amazing. I've told you that 
both as a as a publisher but also as a as a fan of the genre you guys that you all know that with uh, with charlie 316 and when when you laid out the idea of the four and and we talked about well let's break the mold let's not do it one one a year and and have people give people the chance to forget about the character uh characters and the settings and so i thought well you know what let's go on and, and release them on a uh, much quicker fashion um you guys write them and you're you're very uh, quick to write and so you're going to have the fourth one done and if i wait four years to put it out well why, why am i going to do that you've already forgotten about it you've written uh, probably another 15 books before then and so why not let's let's get it out and keep this on the forefront of the um of the mind of of the readers and as we go along folks are going to find it and want to go back and pick up Charlie 316 or the second one or the third one or you know wherever they pick up and join in at they're going to want to want to find those other ones and relate to these characters and so it's real easy it's an easy choice it's an easy decision to make there's no reason to release it on normal one year schedule it just you've got them done you guys have got them done and let's make it happen now that finding a book not that's not necessarily the first in the series and going back to the first in the series is you know, so true. I, I remember I discovered the uh, author Steve Hamilton that way. Mm, yep. um, I, I was reading The Hunting Wind, and then I, I didn't realize it was the third book in the series till I finished it and looked and I saw what? And and that's, you know, I mean, Cold Day in Paradise was the first one. It won an Edgar, I believe. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's something to that. And, you know, that, that series, the Charlie 316 series, you know, it hits on some some heavy issues, you know, that it's on issues of race, of, of corruption, of, uh, some of the difficult realities of policing and so forth. And I guess that is to say then that you have not shied away from difficult topics, both in terms of social topics and just in terms of, uh, intense topics. I mean, when you pick your titles, you're not, I don't know that you've published any cozies and that's not to disparage cozies at all, but you've chosen a particular slice of the mystery field. And maybe you could talk about why you chose that slice and, and how wide it is. Yeah. So when I first stumbled on hard boiled, I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years old and fell in love with the genre. I fell in love, in love with that slice. I, I'm not, there's never going to be a cozy published by down and out. Sorry, folks who, who enjoy that. It just, that, that won't fit. Um, I do thrillers. I do mysteries, general, more general mysteries, but the focus is absolutely on what I enjoy reading. And that is hard boiled uh, crime novels and something that, that has a, that has a message at the end uh, or somewhere along it. You know, with yours, with, with that Charlie 316 series, as you said, they're race-related. There are things going on in there that are pertinent to today. And it's a different different lens, a different viewpoint of the, the race issue. And it's one that people should think about and consider. Um, I, I don't shy away from, from crazy topics within the, um, within the crime fiction world, you know, the Wildest book that I've, I've ever published is by Anthony Neil Smith called Triple Extremis. It is, it's a good, a, an excellent book, but the topic is one that, um, that people will find difficult to read if you're not prepared for reading very harsh topic. It's more out there than the Boise uh, Long Pig Hunting Club? You know, uh, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's pretty intense too. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I, I struggle with, with which one which one would I put on the, the farthest end of a, the hard-boiled spectrum. And they're both right there. They're neck and neck. Triple uh, X Seamus might be, might be a little, little over, the, uh, over the top. And I won't give it away, but there's some, uh, there's some relationship things in there that, that, that people will often have time stomaching or, or thinking about. Well, I, I really want to continue this conversation, but 
this is uh, usually the, the time in the show, and actually I usually do it much earlier, uh, where I switch over to the sponsor, which, uh, spoiler alert, is Down and Out Books. Um, and it's usually Lance that does the sponsor piece and, and kind of fills us in on what new books from Down and Out are coming that particular month. Uh, but I thought maybe you could introduce Lance this episode since he works for you. And if you tell him to, he has to come on and do this. <laughs> okay. So, uh, coming up next is, uh, Lance Wright, associate editor with down and out books. And he is, um, he's going to tell you about some titles that are going to come out in the next few months. Thanks Lance. Thanks for having me, Frank. It's been a busy year for us here at Down and Out Books, and November is a perfect example of how busy it's been. Eight new titles and two reissues, spanning a broad range of interests. Let's start with the second Lou Crasher thriller by Jonathan Brown, Don't Shoot the Drummer. LA's favorite rock and roll drumming amateur PI is back on the hunt for a gang of thieves targeting private residences. And then for a killer when a security guard is murdered. If he can navigate this razor's edge deftly, he'll live to drum another day. Next up is a debut crime novel by Steve Jankowski, Below the Line, which introduces Mike Millick, a freelance armed chauffeur to the stars. But when he arrives one night to pick up a rap producer client, he finds him dead with a satchel full of cash. He takes what is owed him, but that leads him down a path into the sordid underbelly of Hollywood elite. Finally, Frank, and you knew this was coming, the conclusion to the Charlie 316 crime series, Code 4, co-written by yourself and Colin Conway. It's been a tumultuous two years for the Spokane Police Department, and now the Department of Justice has arrived to determine if federal intervention is needed. This disrupts everyone's agenda and threatens to expose dark secrets and end careers. Thanks for having me, Frank. We'll talk again next month. All right. Well, there was Lance with some great titles, and it's a good example of the kind of stuff you're publishing. Um, but uh, let's let's dive back into our conversation here. You know, you haven't just uh, not shied away from tough topics, be they political or be they you know social or just you know intense. Uh, but you, you know, in an era where there's a lot of talk about giving voice to some uh, segments of the writing community that maybe haven't had as much opportunity uh, to be heard, you know, you've done some things in that arena too that are a little outside the norm or maybe a little ahead of the curve. You've you've published authors and uh, who would fall into that category. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I think people, it, it's funny. You asked me that question right now. I was having a conversation with Danny Gardner, I don't know, maybe a month and a half, two months ago. And Danny is, his first book was called A Negro and an Ofe. And, you know, others, a lot of people said, oh, you need to change that title. That, that's just not going to get any traction. You need to change that title. That's just terrible. Why? Why is it terrible? You know, it's part of our culture. It's what the author wanted it to be called. And he's a man of color. And it fits. It fits the character. It fits the book. It fits what he's trying to, to build and what he's trying to accomplish with the overarching uh, um, idea of the series. And, you know, the, the second book is called Ace Boon Coon. I told somebody that early on and they were like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding. There's no way I'd ever publish that. Well, I would in a heartbeat. Because, again, there's a story there. There's, there's a message that he's trying to convey about his culture, about uh, things that, you know, white guys don't know about. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't discuss it. It didn't mean that we shouldn't make it available. Why freeze up and, and not release it? Hey, it's how I learned what an OFE was. I had never heard that term before. Yeah. And when people think of, of people of color, they certainly think of uh, of black authors, which are underrepresented. But you've also been very supportive of of uh, women, of Latinx authors. It's pretty apparent that there's a lot of support for own voices. You know, you got a story to tell. If it's a if it's a compelling story, why am I why, why is it my place to say no 
because you are you fall into one of those categories. That's that's that's. I, the, I, I won't say the words I want to say, uh, but essentially, it's asinine that <laughs> you have to that you can't publish those things, right? You, you're 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 there's this uh, this is America. You have free press. You have the ability to write whatever you want to write. And if you find a person that is uh, uh, willing to publish it, it's a compelling story. People want to read it or or at least have access to it. Then why not publish it? When you have, li- uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but when you've limited yourself to a particular few subgenres of the mystery field, you know, you're kind of paring down the types of stories that you're publishing, uh, you know, diversity uh, both in terms of the authors and the storytelling within that slice makes a lot of sense from a business model too, because you just, you just up the number of potential, uh, you know, stories that you can tell and sell. Uh, and so everybody wins there, right? The author gets to tell his or her story and and the reader gets some diversity and, and, and you get a, a fuller shelf. Yep. Absolutely. What was the uh, hardest thing? What was the most difficult thing you encountered while getting down notebooks up and running? Uh, and how did you overcome that? Uh, the hardest thing getting started because it changes, right? You, you, some, you, you solve one issue, you find something else. It's a challenge. You find something else you move on. But when we first, when I first got started, uh, the challenging thing was trying to figure out who's going to sign on with me. I'm a nobody. Nobody's ever heard of down and out books. And I had a lot of writers that, that said, no, that um, I would love to have published. And they, since then, a couple of them have come back and, and I wound up publishing after time had gone by and they saw that, yeah, this guy really is trying to do the right thing for, for the readers and for the authors. Um, and so I think that's probably the hardest because it took a while to get, um, Joe Bramo to sign on. It wasn't like he said, yeah, right out of the gate, I'm in. Um, it wasn't, you know, David Housewright didn't sign on right out of the gate. Uh, it took some time. It took conversation. Luckily, I knew David, uh, David and from, from other things. And so he was a little more open to working with me. Rich Berry, you know, he, he um, doesn't write anymore, but He'd won um, some awards in the past, and it was fun to reissue those titles. But he didn't know anybody had any interest in him, so he was kind of hesitant. He moved on and not not worried about it. So a lot of the people that that I, uh, initially came on came on board, they helped me build the foundation. You know, they they helped me, they helped uh, burst bust through the 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 standard New York model and look at something in Tampa, Florida, some publisher in Tampa, Florida that he's new, don't know what he's going to, don't know what he's going to know. Don't know if he's going to be able to do anything with it. And here we are. We're still, still rolling through, man. 10 years later. Well, it's all about connections. I mean, that's what you get when you go to the conferences more than anything. uh, At least that's been my experience. And you never know where those connections are going to come from. I mean, uh, Uh, you and I discovered we both went to the University of Louisville for uh, a while. So there's a connection we weren't even aware of. Um, I found it interesting. Uh, I know you did too. Apparently yep. the, the alumni magazine doesn't think it's too interesting because they <laughs> didn't put anything in there when we sent it to them. But uh, the connections are, are important. You said, you know, the changes that you are dealing with this obstacle or challenge. And once you resolve it, another one comes up. Uh, you're almost 10 years on now. At this point in time with the publishing landscape being what it is, what's your biggest challenge that you're facing? Uh, right now, it is trying to get, I mean, COVID put, helped a lot of people, but it also hurt a lot of people um, in the publishing world. It has been a challenging year to get new titles reviewed. Uh, most, mo- nobody was, everybody wanted, previously wanted physical copies and took them a couple months to figure out, wow, um, nobody's going to the office to get those uh, ARCs and then disseminate them to the, to the reviewers. 
And so the, you had you had places now that after several months they figured out, well, we got to get to uh, uh, an ebook model, and and it's become a little easier to get in front of them. But it's still being it's still challenging to get those reviews that that we need, that publishers need, so that readers can can find the books, can find the titles that uh, that you guys put out there. Um, that's probably the biggest thing we're dealing with now. Second biggest thing, biggest challenge is now that I've been publishing for so many years, we have so many books out. It's how do you how do you maintain next year's pipeline, next the, the year after that, the year after that, with the guys that have been that are still writing. You know, you're still writing books. You still have titles that that we've got in a pipeline for the next couple of years. And how do I find time to look for that new writer? for that new voice that's out there. And so it's difficult to balance how many titles I can do from the authors that I already am working with and to thoroughly enjoy working with. You know, if, if there's no reason for me because it's just, look, at the end of the day, it's uh, down and out books is two guys, uh, myself and Lance Wright. And, you know, that's really it. And so he or I deal with everybody. And that means that if you, if I don't like dealing with you, if you're a problem, if you're, you have, um, whatever, you, you've got an attitude, um, I don't need to work with you. I've got other guys that, that I thoroughly enjoy working with and people that I call friends. So I want to make sure I'm still have enough spots on the, on the calendar for those guys. And then we've got to shoehorn new people in because you always want to be bringing some new fresh voices into the into the stable and so time is probably our biggest biggest challenge right now and that that second item that you described i mean that sounds a lot like a traditional publishing problem i mean authors who find themselves on the mid list uh traditionally and and maybe even dropped once they have been there for a certain period of time and haven't you know, broken a certain number of sales. I mean, that's a traditional author's complaint or lament for decades and decades. And so, um, you know, it's interesting to me that even though you are a traditional publisher, but, but not a New York sized publisher that you're encountering some of the same, some of the same issues. Uh, we will get back to uh, our conversation with Eric Campbell in just a moment, but this is the time in the show where I like to turn things over to the experts and by experts, I mean people who know good books. Uh, for the last several months, it's been uh, former guests who are uh, almost exclusively authors. Uh, and that is the case again this month. Uh, we're going to hear from Stephanie Kane, from Sean Cosby, and from Eric Van Lustbader, who are going to make some recommendations to you about what you might want to read. Uh, this is Stephanie Kane, author of Automat, and I would like to recommend Midnight in Peking, which is a nonfiction true crime book by Paul French. It's set in Peking in 1937, just before the Japanese invaded, and uh, it's just a wonderful read. Hi, this is S.A. Cosby, author of Blacktop Wasteland, and I'd love to recommend Winter Counts by David Heska Wanabli Whedon. It's a wonderful novel uh, that takes place on a Native American reservation and tells the story of Virgil, wounded horse. Um, do yourself a favor and pick up Winter Counts. Hi, this is Eric Van Lusbader, author of um, many books, including uh, my latest one, The uh, Nemesis Manifesto. I'd, I'd like to recommend to you something that's uh, not anything like what I write, uh, but is a quite wonderful book. It's called Black Rabbit Hall by Eve Chase. And I just finished it and absolutely loved it. So maybe you want to check it out and see what you think of it uh, as well. All right, there you are, some great recommendations from some cool people who uh, know what they're talking about. Check out the recommendations that they made. Meanwhile, let's get back to the guy who puts those books out. 
uh, Eric Campbell. You know, you've been doing this for almost 10 years. What surprised you the most? What what was not at all like what you expected? Oh, that's a good one. Um, because I am not, I was not from the industry. The time that I, I worked with, with Tyrus Books wasn't, it wasn't like it was, you know, 30 years, 10 years, five years. It was a pretty short period of time. So I certainly didn't know much about the industry. I've had to learn a lot about it and still learning about it. I didn't have blinders on. So, I mean, I'm just, a, I've been a, a, a sponge with the whole whole process, with the whole trying to figure figure my way around in it. I can't say that there was, I didn't, I didn't come in with a preconceived notion of ABC uh, that I can, I could say that, well, I found that to be different than what I thought. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't come in with any preconceived notions. I was just coming in to, to start working with, with guys that had, um, had disappeared. And, you know, I was, it did and initially it was, uh, I'll publish, you know, 10, 15, 20 books a year and, and that'll be that. And now I'm doing, you know, a hundred or, or, or better, uh, every year for the last couple of three years, four years. And so it's, I, I, I can't give you a clear answer on that, Frank. It's, um, I don't have a, a one spot that I can say I expected this and, and got that. Did you expect to be publishing hundreds of books a year when you started, or did you see yourself more as a 12 to 15 in a year sort of house? Yeah. I mean, that was, that's where I initially planned, but as I got, as guys kept coming over and, we, I got got working with with new voices, and then it just naturally grew. I mean, I'll tell you, last year was on with last year being 2019, we ended up publishing about 123. I think it was 123, 124 books, and that was that was a hard year. We just crammed too many things in there. Um, it makes it difficult to push yeah. the titles as they're coming out. That's so, like ten know, a month, so. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was tough. It was, we weren't doing what we weren't getting the word out about titles and that's, that's a tough thing. I feel guilty about that. I feel guilty when I can't push every single book because there's, you know, there's only so many dollars to go around that, that are coming into the company. That's why we, we hope that the authors pitch in and, and they're, you know, banging the drum out there as best they can as well to move, move the needle. Because it helps them, it helps us, it, it helps the titles, uh, it helps the whole the whole brand. You know, before we before we head out here, um, I guess the good final question would be, where is Down and Out going? Where do you see Down and Out books, you know, a year from now? And since you're coming up on 10 years, where, where do you see them 10 years from now? Well, next year, uh, within the next 12 months, I hope to be able to bring on someone else uh, to help with the workload. We, you know, we've got great, great cover guys that we've been working with. Um, luckily, we've, we've been blessed and found, I guess we got four or five of them that we continue to repeat uh, business with. And on the layout side, uh, that would be an area where, where we can use some additional hands on deck. Uh, the editing is, is an area that we've been adding people. Uh, it's, it's all outsourced, but that that's going pretty well. And that's, Honestly, how we were able to to make it all happen last year, we spent uh, a lot of money with uh, with editors that that were that are not necessarily you know day to day employees with the company, but we are at a point where we need another day to day employee that can be involved and and help continue to grow it. Um, in ten years from now, you know we'll we'll still be uh, we'll be small in the sense that we will still be based in Tampa. Uh, no, no plans of leaving this area. We'll probably have four to seven, uh, folks working with us and we'll be cr- uh, coming up on about 1500 to, to 1700 titles if we keep the pace up that we're at. So it'll be a busy, busy 10 years. How do you see, uh, or anticipate the, the, publishing landscape, the business of publishing, the the way books are read uh, changing over that time period? 
Well, we've been playing in the audiobook world. Uh, we did have one uh, title that we've pushed forward and completed. We have not done a big, real big push on it yet. We're getting ready to start that process. Uh, so I think that there there is an opportunity on the audio side of books, uh, in addition to the ebook side. There's there's um, there's got to be some changes in uh, on the publishing side uh, of the ebooks. Insofar as there's a lot of people that are self-pubbing, and some of those titles are um, a good chunk of those titles are not have not been edited are not. Um, not really ready for prime time and people just push them out, unfortunately. And so I think that at some point, Amazon or some of these other platforms, maybe they come up with some way to do a better vetting process. Maybe, maybe a, a front, you know, some kind of an edit. And if it has X number of issues, then you can't publish it at that point in time. You have to go get those edit editing issues corrected. I've seen, uh, some some talk about that. I know that I've gotten used to get emails. I haven't seen one in a while. Early on, we got emails from Amazon saying, hey, uh, this book's got these 15 errors or these 10 errors or whatever it was. But I haven't seen one in such a long time. I don't know that they're still doing it. If they are, that's great. Uh, that means that we haven't, we haven't gotten those uh, notices. But maybe um, others are. And maybe that will slow down some of the self-pub stuff that is, we'll just call it, uh, call it a mess um, to be nice. But we're competing against that. You know, the price points are reasonable for us. Uh, we are not doing, we generally don't do 99 cent books. The biggest reason we're not doing that, Frank, as you know, is there's such a small margin on a 99 cent book that uh, all you get is 33 cents. And that just, you, you can't get it to sell hundreds of thousands of books to, to make any kind of reasonable return on, on all the effort that goes into putting a book together and, and quite frankly, you guys writing it. So you see um, ebooks and audiobooks as being more the primary means by which uh, readers are experiencing books um, and, and less so the print copies, or do you think that that trend may reverse? No, I think the trend will stay, will continue. I think that um, the print side, I don't know that it come down much more. It's it's pretty low on on that end right now. But I do think that that the ebook will continue to be an important part of the reading process going forward. I still like reading books personally. Um, I have thousands of of, uh, of books that many of which have not been read just because I just don't have time at this point. But I will at some point down read them. Um, so almost 10 years now, looking back over that, uh, is there any single moment that you would call your favorite moment, just a moment where you just felt the, the pride or you felt the satisfaction that just uh, you know stands out even more than any other? Um, you know, there's a lot of them. There's, there's a lot of moments. But the one that, that is... Um, it's probably near and dear to me only because it's the first big major awards that we, that, that I won was the, uh, when we won it for Moonlight Weeps, that was the first PWA award. That was the first, um, ITW award. And it was for the same title. And it's, and, and that was, you know, that, that was kind of respect from our peers, from the readership from people that, that uh, are in the know and it took a while to get there, but that felt like, wow, we kind of made it. And then, uh, you know, it's been every year, knock on wood, every year we've gotten, you know, numerous awards and um, we're just continuing on that trend and hope we hope people find the books that we publish to be readable and leave a, a, a lingering memory in their a lingering thought in, the, in their memory over time that, wow, that was a great book. I really remember that one. And, and the feelings that I have from reading that is, is amazing. You know, Charlie 316, I, I just, yeah, I know you wrote it and I'm not trying to brag about you, but man, that is a phenomenal book. You guys did an awesome job writing that. 
and I wish we could figure out how to get more readers to find that title. They are missing out. If you're not reading reading that title, if you're not reading it or haven't read it, you got to rush out there and get it. It's fantastic read. Well, that's kind of you say, and I think you describe a what is magical about reading books. I mean, when you when it lingers, that's that you know, and and the same is true with a good television show or, or mm-hmm. film. But when uh, when something lingers, uh, I mean, uh, I just finished binge watching a, a show called Atypical on uh, on Netflix here over the course of this last week, and I mean, I'm talking like up till one in the morning, two nights in a row, and uh, you know, total OCD behavior. I should probably see a therapist. But uh, you know, I mean, the characters resonated with me, and they stuck with me, and I wondered about things about them when I wasn't watching the show. And a good book does the same exact thing. Uh, I think I read recently somebody said if you get to the end of a good book and and you turn that last page, it it feels like you know you've lost a friend almost because now it's over. Uh, that bittersweet feeling. Uh, if you if if that happens when you finish a book, you've uh, you've just read a good book, you know. And and so I I feel like that's what you're talking about there. That bringing that magic to people. So if they want that magic, uh, where can they go to explore uh, the titles that you've published over the past 10 years? They can go to downandoutbooks.com and and is spelled out. Well, uh, Eric, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, like I said, we usually bring on uh, writers and talk about writing, but uh, I like to do something different once in a while. And I think somebody who's done publishing differently Uh, makes for an interesting conversation. And I want to say thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Frank, and hope your uh, listeners enjoy it. All right, folks, there you go. A good picture of uh, Eric Campbell from Down and Out Books. Uh, You know, a real success story. I have been with several small presses prior to Down and Out Books, and you know they have all fallen prey one way or another to the vagaries of the marketplace, or the relationship is soured. You know that's just a reality of of the of the publishing landscape. Sometimes, especially for smaller presses, uh, survival is by no means guaranteed. And so, to be around for ten years and to put out uh, the number of books and the quality of books that Down and Out Books has done. Uh, I just, I think that's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm humbled to be one of their authors and, uh, you know, you can hear the appreciation for the art, uh, in, in Eric's voice when he talks about different titles. Uh, all right. Next episode, we will talk to a return visitor in Gray Bass Night. Uh, he came and talked to me about his first book, Flight of the Fox, uh, last year and this year, Madness of the Q is out. And so he's going to talk to us about that. Uh, in Frank Zafiro news, uh, just another reminder that Code 4, the end of the Charlie 316 saga, uh, will be coming out on 1123. Uh, so you can uh, check that out and you can uh, uh, have all four of the books available to binge if that's how you'd like to go about it. I'm pretty proud of this series and I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I want to say thanks to Eric for coming on the show, for sponsoring the show, and as well to say thanks to you for for listening to it. Uh, Gray Bass Knight is our next guest next week, uh, but until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs> <laughs>